0: Hi, I'm Kristen, and you're listening to A Public Church Podcast. We'd love to connect with you through our social media at A Public Church or through our website, publicchurch.com. Thanks for listening. I don't know what kind of week you've had, but I am so glad that you took the time to gather with us today, whether digitally or in person. I mean, first off, it's been a great day so far. Second of all, Envy Food Truck is outside. I mean, come on. Has anybody had their tachos? It's like tater tots with nachos. Some of you are going to sneak out during this gathering. I sense it. Or you're about to click off online and drive over here. You can just stay for the 12. Also, they have a hamburger with pimento cheese. I'm just saying, I'm trying to decide what I want, but it's all delicious. And as Nolan mentioned, we have baptisms. And actually, one of the people being baptized is the young man walking out of the drum cage, Corey Hart. (laughs) Yes, young man. Corey and his middle child, Emery, are both getting baptized, and man, I just love to see you getting baptized with your daughter and just leading your family so well. We honor you, Corey, and thank you for just the example you are to all of us. Could we honor Corey one more time? And I just want to share a little bit of Corey's story in case you don't get to come back at the end and listen to that, because I think that there could be some intersections even between Corey's story and... Some of our stories. So when Corey was younger, he was sitting in a place a lot like this, an environment similar to this, and he had an encounter with Jesus. That's what he thought at least, where he prayed a prayer, and he thought he made this decision that he was gonna give his life to Jesus and he was going to be in heaven after that. But the reality is, is that there wasn't a whole lot of follow up to that. Now, I have been guilty of not following up because sometimes you just assume that people know what's going on. You assume that they understand. And the thing about Corey, in his own words, he was really good at playing the game. And so there weren't any questions because when he came into a space like this, he knew when to raise his hands and he knew how to sing and he knew what kind of answers to give. But the reality is that as Corey got older, his life outside of settings like this became less and less like Jesus if it was ever really like Jesus to begin with. And then when he moved off to college, and maybe again, you relate, there was no accountability, there was no really the game to be played because he was by himself. And that's when in his own words, his life really just became a wreck. And he looked nothing like Jesus. And so because he didn't really fully understand it what he did is he tried to kind of fix himself fix his life and pull himself back together and and he could remember when he was younger he had gotten baptized because his brother was getting baptized i was like well this is cool let's get baptized with my brother and so he had these memories but the memories and the supposed moments were having any kind of bearing on how he was acting and so what changed for corey He began to understand what we just sang about, that when we were at our worst, Jesus died for us. The innocent judged guilty and the guilty given a chance to walk in innocence because of who Jesus is. And as Corey saw Jesus crucified and resurrected, he truly surrendered his life to Jesus. And the result, life change in every area of his life and he is a completely different person. Perfect? No, just as his wife. Not perfect at all. <laughs> but becoming more and more like Jesus. So, so, so why does Corey wanna get baptized today? Well, he said he probably would've gotten baptized a while ago, but pride of, man, he's a leader in our church, and why is this leader in our church getting baptized at this point? But the reality is, when he was baptized, He probably didn't have a real relationship with Jesus and didn't understand what that means. And since he truly surrendered to Jesus, he hasn't been baptized. And so this is an act of surrender for him. And I know Corey. And the thing I can tell you about Corey is that Jesus impacts how he loves his wife, Kristen. He impacts how he raises his kids. And he impacts his incredible role as a mail carrier in our community. Jesus is invading every single part of Corey's life. And here's the thing, that last part of Corey's chapter that's ongoing could be the next part of your chapter. This part of Corey's story that's ongoing, this chapter, it could be the next chapter in your life because you can surrender to Jesus just like Corey did and you can have every area of your life change because that's what this series is about. This series is about the fact that following Jesus impacts every area of our lives as he invades every area of our hearts. It's an invasion. And the reason the title is Intersections is because we want to help us see the intersections between Jesus and the daily grind. And it's an inside out transformation. He impacts every area of our lives as he invades every area of our hearts. Corey's living that out. A lot of us are living that out. And the invitation for this series is for us to take the next step in truly following Jesus amidst the daily grind. So last week, we set the tone for our series by being in Romans 12, one and two. So today, I wanna read that in the message paraphrase because it really captures the essence and the heart of intersections. It says this, so here's what I want you to do. God helping you. Take your everyday, ordinary life. Check that out, everyday, ordinary life. You're sleeping, eating, going to work and walking around life and place it before God as an offering. in you. I love how it starts. Here's what I want you to do. Do something. God helping you. Because we can't do this on our own. And that's why we talked about last week that Romans 12, two in the ESV says, do not be conformed to the pattern of this world, but be transformed by the renewing of your mind. There's a transformation, an inside out change that must occur, and here's how that happens. We are transformed to the pattern of Jesus by the Spirit. Of Jesus, That when we surrender to Jesus, the spirit of the living God literally moves inside. If you don't follow Jesus, you may be like, I don't understand that. We'd love to talk to you about that. What happens is that the spirit literally moves inside of us and begins doing work, changing us from the inside out. And the spirit can open our eyes to see, okay, I'm going to the store and now here's how following Jesus impacts how I act at the store. We began to see those intersections. But what we discovered last week is that the Spirit's primary tool for transforming us is the Word of God. In fact, if we're not spending time in the Word, we're literally working against the Spirit of God in our lives. We're working against the Spirit trying to transform us. So for the rest of this series, what we wanna do is let the Word do its work. So here's the roadmap. We're gonna talk through Romans 12, nine through 21 for the next five weeks. And so today, we're just gonna be in verses nine and 10. So if you have your Bible, a paper, or a digital copy, and you wanna go there, you can go there. What we wanna do is we just wanna let the word do its work. Let the spirit transform us to the pattern of Christ through the word of God. So, so here's an invitation or challenge, depending on how you wanna look at it. The invitation is that we would actually memorize Romans 12, 9 through 21, that we wouldn't just come in and and hear about it on Sunday and then get on with our lives, but that throughout the week, we'd be working to memorize Romans 12, 9 through 21. So that way, when we don't have our hard copy of our Bible or we can't quite get our Bible out, out, that like we're going to talk about today, the Holy Spirit can remind us and go, let love be genuine. Because the word is in our hearts. So that's the challenge for us. And I wanna kinda go backwards. Normally you give a talk and then at the end you have like an action. I wanna go ahead and give you the action now so we can ponder it throughout the talk because the action is a question. So if you're taking notes, I encourage you to write this down. Um, I encourage you to maybe take a picture of this if you're in the room with your phone. But here's the question. What is an intersection between Romans 12, 9, and 10 and my everyday life? What is an intersection between Romans 12, nine, and 10, and my everyday life. And then what we wanna do is, as the Spirit of God shows us that intersection, we wanna navigate the intersection by applying the word. So I'm gonna pray that we're able to do that, and then we'll dive in to Romans 12, verse nine. Jesus, we need you. And Holy Spirit, I pray that you would literally show every single person watching or in the room, people that are going to watch three years from now, that are going to stumble on this, that you would speak directly to them, and that you would show all of us an intersection between Romans 12, 9, and 10 and our everyday lives. And then, Holy Spirit, please give us the courage to navigate the intersection by applying your word. Change us, Jesus. In your name we pray. Amen. So Paul wrote this, he planted a whole lot of churches and he is a brilliant writer. And we can just skim through Paul and miss the depth of it because when we first read, when we read this first phrase, um, it's kind of like, oh, that's simple, but at least what happened to me when I studied is then it hit me in the face. And so that may happen to you just giving you a warning. Here's what it says, verse nine, let love be genuine. Let love be genuine. Again, sounds pretty simple. Let's dig in a little bit. The word genuine in the original language, the Greek, literally means not hypocritical. And if we just lean in a little bit, we can begin to get smacked around. Because in church, among church people, it's really easy for love to be fake. In fact, maybe some of you sitting here or sitting on your couch, you're considering Jesus for the first time in a long time, and you walked away because the love that you encountered was love laced with hypocrisy. You know, it's easy for us to fake it, isn't it? You see somebody coming, and it's like, hey, I'm so glad you're here. And then what by and you walk away and you're like, I was hoping she wouldn't come. Ah, I'm so glad we're social distancing and spaced out. Because even if she sits by me, I don't have to say anything. I believe in you. you you can do this go and give it your best effort he can't do this there's no way I got seriously he has uh, like l- negative five talent like there's no chance that he could pull this off it's how we live isn't it it's so easy for us <laughs> to say hey man it's so good to see you hey h- how's your week been well, it's actually been really hard. And on the inside, you're going, I don't care. I was just being nice. That's what I'm supposed to say is, how's your week? It doesn't matter to me. Just find somebody that actually likes you to talk to you. And our love can be laced with hypocrisy. I think if Paul was with us, he would say, stop the fake love. Because the reality is, the fake love is misrepresenting Jesus and it pushes people away. That's why Paul says, let love be genuine. Let it be authentic. And this is especially huge for us as a public church because of the unique DNA that Jesus has given us. In early 2020, our team discussed four distinguishing qualities, four distinguishing qualities that really make us distinct that if we compromise these qualities, we're actually violating part of who we are. You know what number one on that list is? Authenticity. One of our core values says we choose authenticity because Jesus's reputation is at stake. God birthed, he started public church and our number one distinguishing quality is authenticity. And then in 2020, he gave us a phrase. And the last part of that phrase is love displayed, that we become love displayed. We can't live out who we are. We can't live out who he wants us to be in 2020 if we're faking love. To truly become love displayed, our love must be authentic. Perhaps some other translations, maybe you're reading one of these helps. The New Living says, don't just pretend to love others, really love them. The message, paraphrase, love from the center of who you are, don't fake it. Stop the fake love. To which a lot of us have this question. What about the people that are difficult to love? Because if we're gonna say we're authentic, let's just be authentic for a moment, and admit that sometimes when people walk in, our involuntary gut-level reaction is, we don't mean to do it. It just happens. And when they walk away, it's like, I mean, is, <laughs> anybody with me on this? Do you have people in your life? Are you like real people that interact with people that grade against you? And then when they walk in, it's like, <sighs> how do we love them? How do we stop the fake love in those type of situations? I said, Paul was a brilliant writer. One of the reasons I love his brilliant and i think he's so brilliant is because he doesn't just say let love be genuine love with authenticity then he explains how in fact in the original language really let love be genuine is like the heading and there's clauses after it and and the rest of verses 9 through 13 are clauses that are all explaining how to let love be genuine because he wants us to know practically what this looks like in our everyday lives. So, let love be genuine, first clause, the rest of verse nine, abhor what is evil, cling to what is good, or hold fast to what is good. Abhor what is evil, and you're like, that's kind of a strong word, isn't it? I mean, I don't know exactly what that means, but I think it means like hate and detest, yes, yes, and yes, and it's only used once in the entire New Testament, so that means Paul used it on purpose. Perhaps the message paraphrase helps us. The message paraphrase says, Run for dear life from evil. Hold on to dear life for good. Abhor what is evil. So suppose this mic stand was evil. It is an inanimate object, it's neither good nor bad. But suppose it was. Here's what Paul wants us to do. When we see evil, we do this I got to get away. 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 That's the image. The image is that we run from evil, abhor it. Here's the problem. If we get really practical and think about our thought life and our actions, a lot of times we don't abhor, we tolerate. That thought about, ah, I can't stand her, I wish she wasn't here, that's evil the action to then take that thought and put it into words and go, I can't stand her. That's evil, but we tolerate it. And Paul says that's one of the reasons we're faking it <laughs> is because there's the evil inside. And Jesus himself said, what is in the heart is going to come out. So run for dear life from evil and hold on to dear life for good. Paul, in another letter he wrote in Philippians 4, chapter 8, he gives us a little bit more detail on what this means. He says, hey, and dear brothers and sisters, one final thing. Fix your thoughts on what is true and honorable, right, and pure, I'm not done yet, lovely and admirable. Think about things that are, there's more, excellent and worthy of praise. So the image that comes to my mind when I think about this idea that we hold fast or we hold on for dear life to what is good is this image that's gonna be on the screen. I think about this embrace. Perhaps a mom with her daughter, perhaps an older sister with a younger sister, but that should be our relationship with the good, with the excellent, with the praiseworthy, with what is admirable and lovely, while we are literally fleeing, running from what is evil. That's gonna lead us to go to love with authenticity. The next clause, the love with authenticity, it says, love one another with brotherly affection. Love one another with brotherly affection. In other words, recognize, that we are a (laughs) family. We're a family. In March and then in early August, we had a series called Family Matters. We did part one and two because it's really important that we understand that we are a family. And if you're new here, it's important that you understand that there is room in our family for you. So if we're a family, we need to act like it. (laughs) When I think about family, the image that comes to my mind is from a football team that I had the privilege of coaching a few years ago at Bradley Central High School. This is the image. Because here's the thing about this group of guys, a lot of them didn't even know each other when they met as freshmen. One of them actually came in as a senior, but he was immediately just welcomed in. It didn't matter where they came from, their background. There was so much diversity of experience on this team and diversity in every respect. And yet they became a brotherhood. They were a family, the most successful team that we've had in the past 30 years because they loved one another. And suddenly football wasn't about me. It's about my brother beside me. I've seen football team after football team gel and become a family like that. Why can't Jesus's church do that? Isn't that what we should do? And know that Paul wasn't writing into a culture that read this and they're like, actually we read this while we were all in a circle singing Kumbaya together. No, in the early church, there was ethnic and racial tension between the Jews and Gentiles. Because the Jews basically said, hey, every other ethnic racial group on the whole planet, they're called Gentiles, so it's like us and them. And there was tension between the two. And Paul says, hey, now we're family. And we have to honor each other, love each other, act like a family, no matter what our background or ethnic differences are. And honestly, I shouldn't have to pull out a picture of a football team to represent that. It should be a picture of Jesus's church. And so, to give you a little preview of where we're going in the series, in week five, we're gonna be in Romans 12, 17, and 18, and we're gonna return to a concept that we've talked about before called front door conversations. The idea behind that is that we don't walk around to the back door if the front door is open. And when it comes to having tough conversations, that's what families do. The healthiest families that I've ever been a part of, they know how to navigate the tough stuff. And here's our natural bent, depending on what number on the Enneagram you are or kinda how you're wired. Some of us, we just wanna knock the front door down. Others of us get in and we're passive aggressive. Others of us are just meandering and we're nice and we never really state the issue. But there is a better way. There's a way to have a front door conversation where we address the issue and grow more unified as a result of the conversation. So here's a potential prayer. Perhaps, knowing that we gotta act like a family, you could pray for the next few weeks, Jesus, show me if I'm supposed to have a front door conversation with somebody. Go ahead and be preparing a heart, and if you're a leader in any capacity, add a word in and say, show me who I'm supposed to have a front door conversation with. Welcome to leadership, we have to have them. So for leaders, it's not if, it's who we're supposed to talk to, we gotta act like a family. The last phrase he gives us, the last one we're talking about today, is outdo one another in showing honor. If we're gonna stop the fake love, if we're gonna love with authenticity, We need to outdo one another in showing honor. One of our um, leaders sent me this image and I absolutely love it. I can't say the names of the people in because one of the people in this picture relocated to take the story of Jesus to people in another part of the world. But what you see here is two ladies and one is teaching English to the other lady. You know what this requires? Honor. The one who is learning English, she has to humble herself to be taught. The one who is teaching has to be patient with the student. And just notice it's subtle, but their body language just a little bit, they're leaning in, listening intently. What a picture of outdo one another in showing honor. The message paraphrase, I love how it phrases this. It says, practice playing second fiddle. Really? Practice being the backup singer. Practice being the backup quarterback. Practice being the person who didn't get the promotion and now works for the person who did get the promotion. Practice playing second fiddle. For those of us who are married, who ever wanna be married, what if we just did this? Here's an image of a bride and groom on their wedding day. Look at him serving. Look at the honor that he's showing her. He understands, hint for future grooms, that the wedding day is about the bride, not you, okay? Let's just get that out there. This is good life advice. And he's doing whatever he can to make sure her dress is good, it's taken care of. And then this next image absolutely just shakes me, really. I want you to answer this question. What are your eyes drawn to? You look at this image, what are your eyes drawn to? my eyes are drawn straight to the bride. Everything in this picture says, look at the bride. She's facing us, she's smiling, she's in white. And what's the groom doing? His full attention is on her. Now, the more I look at it, I'm like, really like his suit, he's got a really nice watch. But the point is at the beginning, it's all about the bride. Practice playing second fiddle. Here's the question. Are we willing to take this posture in our everyday lives? Are we willing to go to work tomorrow and on a project that we kind of helped get started, but then somebody else really ran with and we wanna make sure we get our lion's share of the credit, are we willing to look like that groom and put all the attention on the person who ran with the project and not take any credit and practice playing second fiddle? What if we did that? Then we would be loving authentically. So how do we stop the fake love? Paul says first, we gotta abhor what is evil. Hold fast to what is good. Love one another with brotherly affection because we are a family and we have to outdo one another in showing honor. We've gotta habitually practice playing second. So let's return to our question that we asked at the beginning. What is an intersection between Romans 12, 9, and 10 and my everyday life? I wanna give you just a moment as the band's coming up. Maybe you wanna write an answer. Maybe you just want to think about it, but just take about 30 seconds and wrestle with this question. The goal is that we continue to ask this question, that hopefully as a lot of us memorize these verses, that on Tuesday, on Wednesday at one o'clock in the afternoon, maybe when we least expect it, it'll hit us, outdo one another in showing honor, and we'll see the intersection between following Jesus and our everyday life. And for some of you, that intersection may be this, You can't really love with authenticity until you've been loved with authenticity. And so maybe for you, it's to surrender to a Jesus who died for you, died for us when we were at our worst. He didn't run away from our problems. He didn't sugarcoat our problems. He didn't berate us because of our issues. He died for us. And then he rose again and offers us life. And if that's you, somebody from our prayer team is gonna be out in the lobby. They would love to talk with you if you're in the room. And if you're watching at home, if you would text this number, 423-665-9317, our team would love to have a conversation about what it means to surrender to Jesus. Because to love authentically, we must be loved authentically first. You know, the best example of Romans 12, nine and 10 I've ever seen in my life from a couple keith and angie barton i live with their son jared for a few years before i got married and just a little bit about angie she was born in south korea incredible story as jesus rescued her from a terrible situation and she moved here and her and keith got married and let me just tell you this lady cooked the best korean food maybe just the best food i've ever put in my mouth it was cream cheese egg rolls like I'm gonna start drooling um I, I mean the, the chicken she made it's like unbelievable she lived at the top of this hill so whenever she cooked I would like run extra and work out more during the day so I could eat more um and then it's like driving up to heaven you know as you like drive the hill it's like I can smell the egg rolls I'm getting closer I mean it's unbelievable I'm convinced she's gonna be a chef in heaven because she loves it and because her food is heavenly I mean I know I'm getting distracted but Keith and Angie Barton she absolutely loved to cook. You know what she didn't like to do? She did not like to clean. And so for a time, her and Keith worked different shifts. Do you know what Keith would do? He would clean the house before she got home. Because that way she wouldn't have to do it. Because he, didn't, he knew she didn't like to do it. You know the question I could never get answered from Jared or Lydia or Eli from their children? Does your dad like to clean? Nobody He just did it because it was a way he could honor his bride and love her authentically. I pray that we would find those intersections just like Keith did and that we would honor people and love like he loved his bride. Jesus, show us these moments. And I pray that we would navigate these moments through your word.